Thanks for tuning in to Reformation Lutheran Church's sermon podcast. Our sermon series is Forgotten Books of the Bible, and today we're reading Ruth, beginning with chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and chapter 4, 9 through 17. This is Pastor Jason saying thanks for listening, and God bless you. A reading from Ruth, beginning in the second chapter. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, To whom does this young woman belong? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came and she's been on her feet from early this morning until now, without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I've ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, eat some of this bread and dip your morsel in the sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he heaped up for her some parched grain. and She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. But when she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, Let her glean even among the standing sheaves, and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls for her from the bundles and leave them for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Picking up in chapter 4, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, 
Today you are witnesses that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Shilion and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate among the elders, along with the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephrathah and bestow a name in Bethlehem. And through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and when they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, it was some time before World War II. I suppose it was right around the uh, 1930s. A young woman and her husband emigrated to the United States, and they lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There they found a community of immigrants that shared their culture and their language. They were able to work and worship God in this new place, and yet it was different than the home and the hardships they left behind. They were longing for freedom, for safety, and opportunities to start their family. Paul got work as a hairdresser, and his wife, Frida, cared for their young twins. They came to this country at a time when it might not always have been safe to speak their native language. They may have felt like outsiders at times, and yet they were given a chance to thrive, build a life. After World War II, they moved to Florida and helped start a church out there among the orange groves. They held beauty pageants. Their daughter, Rita, had two boys who never spoke much German. One of them became a father, and his first son became the pastor of this church in Las Vegas. He had four kids with a woman whose mother came here from another country. My great-grandmother wrote about her life and her experiences and visions of Jesus so that her descendants and all who read it would know the story, that we would share her love of the Lord. And it's such a blessing to me to have that, to know where they came from, to become more familiar with their history and the roots of my family tree. This immigrant story is one most of us are familiar with at some level. Maybe it was your parents, maybe your grandparents who came here from another place. Maybe it was Finland or Sweden or Norway or Germany 
Maybe Puerto Rico or Mexico or Cuba or Bulgaria. Maybe they struggled to fit in so you could have the life they only dreamed of. Maybe they left their nation of origin to find work. Maybe a safer existence. How were they received by their new community? That would likely depend on the prevailing sentiment toward people from that nation at that particular time. Coming from Moab, Ruth would certainly have felt like an outsider. To begin to understand this, you have to know a little bit about Moab. It was this nation across the sea from Judea, not that far really, named for the child born to the first daughter of Lot. To the north was Ammon, the home of the Ammonites, named for the child born to the second daughter of Lot. And you can hear this origin story in about eight verses at the end of chapter 19 of the book of Genesis, where the daughters of Lot live up in the hills and there are no other men, so they get their father drunk one night and they become pregnant and have children. Israel and the Moabites have had some bad history. And even according to Deuteronomy, we read they were not welcome in the Lord's assembly, those Moabites. Every time you read that word, you can kind of hear them saying, oh, those Moabites. We can know from the book of Ezra and Nehemiah that there was a great concern about intermarriage. And it was during this time when Israel was allowed to come back home after the fall of Jerusalem. People were very concerned with immigrants and keeping uh, the families pure. In fact, they got rid of women and children who were born from intermarriage and they made them go away. This is a time in which this book of Ruth was likely written that tells a different story. And this beautiful story includes family tragedy, hope, promises, redemption, and love. And it's a beautiful short book with little mention of God in it at all, but includes this central message of God's redeeming love for all the world. And any good story, of course, has this cast of characters, and this one begins by introducing them. There's Elimelech, husband of Naomi, but he died. Then we have their two sons, Malon and Shilion. Oh, but they're dead too. They married wives from Moab. How scandalous, right? named Orpah and Ruth, and after the men all die, Naomi hears there's food back home, so she tells her daughters-in-law to go back to their people. She makes plans to say goodbye, and Orpah follows directions and goes back home to her folks. Ruth, however, decides to go with Naomi and take her chances back in Judea and Israel. We can already be quite sure she must have had a hard time fitting in there because the book doesn't just refer to her as Ruth but insists on repeating her place of origin. She's Ruth, the Moabite, just in case we'd forget. For me, growing up in Florida, I had friends and classmates from all over the world. They were from China and Pakistan and India and Egypt, Haiti, the Bahamas, Belize, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Peru, even New York. Some tried their best to fit in while others shared their culture with pride. And at times they faced ridicule, abuse, bullying. Was it because of fear, lack of understanding? I could only imagine having to deal with that kind of stress on top of being a young person just trying to get through high school. But why should we be afraid? Why do we carry that fear with us? Why would we not want to share what we have? 
how could we not welcome strangers and give away what has been given to us? We hear this in this story of Boaz, who generously just says, take, take this food, take what you need. Do not be afraid. No one's going to bother you here. We've got to let go of that scarcity mentality that we have sometimes, that fear that what we have is not enough, that there's not enough to go around. And maybe that is our nature, that we hoard, that we are territorial, we, we dominate. We've got to quit it. We are that way. We are uncharitable and antagonistic toward those who are different from us. And yet we know we are all foreigners here. We know that we live in this nation of immigrants. Every day we hear stories of people that have had to leave their homes to find safety, help, food, and a better life. Immigrants still struggle to live safely in this country, and some young people who have grown up their entire life within these borders must continuously live with the fear that they may be sent back to a country that they have never known. In our lifetime, it seems the U.S. has become known for a lack of hospitality where immigrants and refugees are unwelcome. How can that be? Last week, I was on a call with staff from one of our local congressional representatives, our bishop and folks from Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services. And Bishop Hutterer and I shared our concerns for the needs of refugees and immigrants attempting to find help in our country. In recent weeks, over 900 children have been expelled under a pandemic border policy. They arrive at our borders and are turned around and sent back. Unaccompanied children. We know the current administration has drastically lowered the number of immigrants and refugees allowed to enter the U.S. and have asked our elected officials to push for an increase in that number, to bring it back up to where it was. In Congress, the Committee on Homeland Security just held a hearing last week on improper spending, deaths, and medical care of children in custody of Customs and Border Patrol. There are children locked in cages just miles from where we live. So we don't forget. Crisando Fronteras, a ministry partner with the Episcopal Diocese of Arizona and the Grand Canyon Synod of the ELCA, of which our church is a part, reports that 153 women, men, and children live at La Casa, a residential shelter in Nogales, Mexico. And asylum seekers are there in need of education, medical care, spiritual support, and just their basic necessities of life. What must that existence be like? That you would leave everything that you've known behind to come to a new place. Naomi didn't know what she would be returning to. She heard there was food there. She might have expected that someone there would care for her as she had some relations that would uphold their obligations to the widow. But Ruth had no expectations of help or safe harbor. She would have been unknown to them, likely unwelcome by many and unable to care for herself. It's true that this book makes little mention of God, yet in the narrative we hear this presence of the one who protects who redeems, who provides new life, change, and a way forward. Ruth finds Boaz, Boaz, this relative of Naomi, who's heard her story. He knows this loyalty that she expressed to her mother-in-law. He knows the risks she's taken. 
and the reality she faces. So he welcomes her and provides protection, food for her and for Naomi as well. And she finds favor with him and he becomes for her a redeemer, one to protect, provide, and continue her family line to give her a new future. Could she have imagined the blessings she would find in her new home? Could she have ever known the welcome she would receive? There was another who could have helped. Yes, Naomi had another relative and Boaz went to him and asked if he'd buy the land that belonged to the dead husband of Naomi. He agreed to it. But then when he heard that Ruth would come along with it, would would become her wife, Ruth the Moabite, he backed out. He said, sorry, can't do it. So Boaz was the one to step up, purchase the land, and have Ruth as his wife. And by the end of the story, she's not Ruth the Moabite anymore, but Ruth, the great-grandmother of David, who will be Israel's greatest king and ancestor of Jesus of Nazareth. Each time we turn away, one in need, we fail to live up to God's call to welcome the stranger. We forget Jesus' invitation to let the little children come. We give up on his command to love our neighbor as ourselves. In our lack of welcome of refugees and immigrants, how many blessings have we missed? Yes, we are a nation of immigrants, but more than that, we are all beloved children of God. And that love that sees no borders, no boundaries, I know we need rules, we need good order, but as human beings, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we place our trust not in nations, not in flags, but in God's promises, in God alone. Each one of us is a part of that adoptive family whose citizenship is in heaven. And we are all born into this world in need, hungry, afraid, into different circumstances, but with the same vulnerabilities. Each of us wants the same things, safety, dignity, something to do, someone to love. In the faces of immigrants and refugees, we see neighbors in need of welcome, of help, of hope, of a word of grace. And now in this time when we are all struggling, more than ever, we need one another. It's not the time to turn our backs on the world. We need our siblings from all tribes, from all nations, to conquer the fear of this age and love each other into the new future God has in store for us. And we're not alone. We have a Redeemer, too. We have a relative who will do what no one else will do for us. He died for us, calls us by name, and promises never to leave us abandoned. I don't know Boaz. I don't know anybody named Boaz, but I know Jesus who welcomes us in spite of our sin, in spite of our failings. And even though we are afraid at times, even though we are territorial, even though we are selfish, Jesus is the one who forgives us, gives us new life and blessings unknown. We have this Holy Spirit and with power, she produces fruit in us enlivens us to trust in the promises of God, the promises given to us in baptism, to proclaim Christ, to care for others and the world God made, to work for justice and peace. And we aren't entitled to anything, of course, other than the consequences of our sin, 
We haven't earned any salvation, yet God who sees us, who welcomes us, redeems us and delivers us and gifts us with a life that is more than we could ever imagine. My youngest son reminds me, sharing is caring. And he says it better than he does it. But he's right. We have been given so much and are only worse off when we fail to share that gift. May we trust in the one who gives such unbounded mercy, such lavish love, and such amazing grace. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook Live every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for worship. You can find us on our YouTube channel or on Instagram as well. Stay close and let us know how we can help you best. May God bless you today and always.